Good evening, everybody. It is so good to be able to speak with you here in person again. I really mean that. Last week, I couldn't believe how different it felt, how much better it felt uh, to talk to real humans gathered in a room together. After more than a year of teaching almost entirely to a camera and to a computer screen, I didn't realize until about two minutes, probably, in standing up here and talking with you last Saturday how much I missed this actual thing. I could tell as I was talking that we were sharing something here with each other. And that felt so new and it felt refreshing. There were times that you guys laughed a little last week and that was nice. There were also folks who nodded off a bit at one point and honestly that was nice too because it reminded me that part of this responsibility is actually trying to communicate right with real human beings and there's a rhythm to that that doesn't really happen in a video. I think that right now we all have this chance to rediscover that these things that we're doing, teaching, listening, praying, worshiping, that these are things that are meant to be communal. They're meant to be shared. And in this season, we're learning to do all that again. We're learning to share all that again together. This week, we're wrapping up our series on the letter of 1 Peter, and we're going to be talking in particular about how we live out our faith together. The last five weeks, we spent most of our time talking about the reassurances that Peter is offering to the Gentile Christians, not in Jerusalem, but in other cities far away from the places where so much of the Jesus story took place. We talked about how Peter frames their experiences as they suffer persecution at the hands of the state, as they find themselves cast out and exiled from their families and local communities because of their new faith. We've been talking about these experiences as part of a special identity as Christian nomads who are building this kind of new family together. Peter tells these Christians that what they've decided to believe about Jesus and about his resurrection from the dead is grafting them into a story that God has been telling since the very beginning of time. And he keeps saying to them that their place in that story is secure no matter what dangers come their way. Nothing in this world can shake them loose from God's love. And if it's true that the Jesus they worship rose from the dead, anything the world might threaten to take away from them has to be something their God, who is greater than death itself, has the power to restore. Tonight, we're looking at the last parts of Peter's instructions, which are finally turning from the big ideas of identity and inheritance and hope to the really practical ways that we actually live all of this out together. And in a nutshell, this is what Peter says. He says, if who you are is secure, you are free to see and love other people. If who you are is secure, you are free to see and love other people. You all should know that last week's service uh, our first service in person here at Revolution didn't go as planned. Behind the scenes, there were a bunch of things that were missing, um, that are still missing. There was equipment that, after a year of sitting in a trailer, had stopped working. There were all these little stresses. And i got to say, I'm not complaining about that. In fact, I had been expecting it, which is why, even though our service starts at 530 
Our production leader, Garrett, and I had a plan last Saturday to arrive just after 12 so that we could take as much time as we needed to get things set up before people started to arrive. But when we got here, there was a surprise. Right here, right here in this place that I am now standing, there was a body alone in an open casket in the dark. It turned out that there was a funeral here last Saturday that was going to start at 1. So from 12.30 when we got here until 2.30, there was nothing Garrett and I could do. We ended up hiding in a back hallway uh, and we had to wait before anything could get started. Once the funeral was over, we were able to get to work, but the damage to the schedule was already done. We were way behind schedule, and it was this full-on scramble uh, behind the scenes until service started at 5.30. I bring this up because I think this actually gets at Peter's point about the relationship that we can find between security and seeing other people, and here's why. Although... The body being here when we got here was a big surprise on Saturday. The loss was not. I had heard about the death of Felipe Santo Domingo, a 40-year-old immigration lawyer here in town a few days earlier. I knew that the Spanish-language congregation that meets here at Heritage on Sundays in the afternoon was hosting a service for uh, Felipe's family last Friday night. And in fact, when I had been here in this space unloading some things from our trailers on Friday morning, I actually met Felipe's widow, Lily, as she was coming in to set up a few pictures of her husband for the gathering. I told her who I was, and I told her that we would be sharing the space here at Heritage with them and that I was sorry for her loss. And I also promised that this mess that I was making in the sanctuary with all of these big bins that we'd rolled off the trailers... I promised that that would all be out of her way long before the service that night. I was embarrassed that um, it was in her way then. Um, I apologized for everything, and honestly, she was so kind to me about all of it. But here's the crazy thing. About an hour later, when I was still making a mess in a space that she was trying to set up for a party to honor her late husband... Lily found me out back by the trailers, and she gave me a hug, and she told me that she was so glad that our church was going to be here, that our church was going to have a home. She told me that she runs a printing business, and she gave me her card, and she told me that if we ever needed anything for our church, a sign or a flag or a car wrap or anything like that, that she would be happy to do it for us for free. She said to tell whoever answers the phone when I call that I'm her friend. The scheduling mix-up on Saturday put stress on us last week as a church. Certainly it put stress on me and Garrett. Things didn't go as planned. But I have to tell you, I don't care. I don't care. Because somebody took the time to really see us as a church. Somebody took the time to be kind. And that helped me to see people the next day on Saturday and to be patient. In fact, it helped me to feel a bit honored 
to have a chance to sit and wait through that funeral service, to bear witness, even in this kind of small way, to grief. As we're all stepping back into the real world these days, we have got to be willing to see people. And what we've been learning this month, what we can walk away with today, is that seeing people is made possible by feeling seen ourselves. When we can rest in confidence that who we are is secure, specifically that God loves us, that God sees worth in us, that God is, as we said a moment ago, grafting us in to his story, not just as characters, but as his children. We can see past the things that feel like they're getting in our way or slowing us down or inconveniencing us. And we can discover that it is a privilege to be the person to set their schedule down in order to honor somebody else. Here's how Peter puts all of this in his letter. He writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I want us to again consider what these words mean in the context of the people Peter is writing to, who are people who are suffering who are stressed, who feel insecure, as we've talked about for the last month, in just about every conceivable way that a person can feel insecure. And Peter says to these people, be alert, have a sober mind, not not so you can manage your own affairs efficiently or so you can be particularly righteous, but so that you can pray, love each other deeply, and offer hospitality, which means that all of that alertness, all of that sober-mindedness isn't aimed inwardly at how you can fix your own problems or how you can have more confidence or how you can be a happier person. All of that alertness, that sober-mindedness is aimed outwardly. It's aimed outwardly. I'm paying attention to God so that I can talk to him in prayer. I'm paying attention to my brothers and sisters in my church community so I can love and support them. I'm paying attention to the wanderer and the immigrant and the traveler in my town so that I can offer them hospitality, even though though I am essentially in exile here myself. The alertness that Peter is talking about is an alertness that points out, not in. And the reason for that is because who you are is already secure. That's what he's been saying. Who you are is secure, and that allows you to point your attention, not in, in worry and fear for yourself, but to point it out towards others. Right now, I think we are all at a kind of crossroads in our lives, and that's worth 
focusing on for a moment. It's a once in a generation thing to go through an experience like what we have been through in the last year and a half. We all are carrying baggage, carrying trauma from that. We went through many of the same phases separately and yet also together as we adjusted a little over a year ago to a life of not being seen. Perhaps you kicked against that at first. Perhaps you found a bit of peace, a bit of solace in it. But we all had to adjust to it, right? Our circles shrank down last year to our homes, to roommates, to parents and children, to faces on a Zoom screen. Whereas busyness once dominated our schedules, many of us found our schedules last year completely emptied out, really only being broken up by what's for dinner on a given night or what show we might watch next. We coped with the fear of all of that by turning inwards, trying to protect ourselves, trying to protect our loved ones from harm. We shrank down in various ways too. Fewer conversations in our lives, fewer chores, fewer responsibilities, fewer interests, fewer hobbies. There was a lot of scariness in all of that. And perhaps some much needed quiet in it too. And now, as everyone and everything begins stirring and moving again, some of us, and I'll be honest here, I'm talking about me, we're refilling our lives and our schedules right now at a pace that's going to do us real harm. And the connecting point, the issue really with this, is that we're going to answer the loneliness and the for good or bad, the self-centeredness of the last year by putting ourselves in positions where we are still only capable of thinking about us. Again, that's where I'm at these days myself. I feel so swamped a lot of days that it's hard to focus on anything besides what I'm getting done or what I'm failing to get done. And I've been overwhelmed by myself, how I'm coping and not coping, how I'm adjusting and not adjusting, and it's scary. But the answer The real answer isn't doing more. The answer, the real answer is seeing more. It's seeing more. It's retuning ourselves and retraining ourselves for what it means to be in community, for living life with and around other people. We're not used to it. But if we come back with an openness what relationships give to our lives, we can find, I I think, I pray, a deeper and a greater health and wholeness than what we had before. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about the messiness of Jesus's life. Perhaps our journeys over the last year into isolation and now out from it again can give us a new lens through which to see him and to see what Jesus has done for the world. So consider it this way. Consider it this way. Jesus is himself God. 
Jesus's eternal and imperfect relationship with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. In every conceivable way, Jesus has spent all of eternity in right community. And yet, in the first century, a little over 2,000 years ago, God chooses to be born a human baby where he's small, where he's weak, where he's fragile. He, he chooses to be born without language, unable to communicate with his father and his mother beyond cries, right? He hungers. He sleeps. Over time, Jesus grows up. And as he grows up, he surely makes friends and loses friends and deals with the awkward heartaches that go along with youth. Then in time, he begins the work that he's come here to do, his, his God work. And he calls, as part of that, he calls everyday people to follow him and to learn from him. People who, even up to his dying moment, don't understand him. Which means then that Jesus, although he had perfect understanding, was perfectly seen, was able to perfectly see for all history, for all eternity, that same Jesus chooses miscommunication, chooses misunderstanding, chooses, in the end, misjudgment. And if we think about it in that light, we have to ask or wonder, right, why? Why does he do any of that? I think there's a big reason and a little reason, and both are important. The big reason is because God loves his creation. But the little reason is because that love itself cries out to be seen. That love itself cries out to be known, to be felt, to be reciprocated. By being human, by being human, God makes himself known to humans. By being human, God allows himself to be seen, to be experienced, to be understood by humans. And that openness to being seen comes at huge risks, right? It includes suffering. But the fruit of it, the miracle of it, is that the openness to being seen and the passion to see is contagious and is powerful. It forges connection, connections that allow us to share with each other what is wonderful. Peter writes near the close of his letter, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. for The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God 
that you bear that name. Suffering is going to come, and no one should be surprised by it. But it also creates connections. It also reminds us of a God who chose this same kind of messy and painful life too. And a God who, because he chose that life, can be trusted to really see us and to carry us with him in time into glory. He is a God who gives us his name, not through Holy Scripture or some ritual alone, but through the intimacy of actually living here among us, being knowable to us. His love pours out in relationship. It calls us and invites us into similar vulnerability and warmth. And then, as we're filled with that love, it pours out for others again. That's all a bit vague, maybe. So let me try to ground it here for us. Lily, the young widow and printer. Lily had every reason last Friday for her focus to be inwards. But knowing God's love and her security in that God and in being loved gave her freedom to see our church, to show us kindness, to build a bridge to us, even in the midst of hardship. And I think that this imitates Jesus, who sees his creation who shows love to his creation, becomes a bridge to his creation at tremendous personal cost. And as we step back into the world, here's what we have an opportunity to do. We can see one another, love one another, become bridges for one another. We can have patience with one another. We can check in with each other. We can show grace to one another. We can be people who keep doors open, making sure people know that in our homes, a place is always set for them no matter how long they've been away. And if that kind of of sight and empathy leads us to suffer. We need not feel ashamed, Peter writes, as if we got tricked by people. Rather, we can praise God that we have been seen, that we have been loved, and that we have been invited to share this life in the first place. Participation in the world is a gift. And if who we are is secure, then we are free to see and love other people. I know that still may be a bit abstract. Honestly, this week has been hard to put into words, but what I'm saying is this. We are made for community. 
our joy can rise up out of it. Community isn't easy, and there are selfish, unhealthy ways to do it that we can and we should avoid. Community can't be the way that we figure out who we are. I'll say that again because it's important. Community can't be the way we figure out who we are. But if we discover that who we are starts with how God feels about us, the overwhelming wonder of that discovery can't help but overflow into the world. It can't help but pour out into community. If we know we are loved, we have the freedom to see. And once we see, all kinds of doors open for us as Christians, as humans, to choose people, even when we're suffering. Even when we're suffering. So this week, here's how I want to challenge you. First, we need to let ourselves be seen by stepping back out into the world. We need to let ourselves be seen. Not necessarily by jumping back into a million commitments or a million responsibilities, but by stepping back into participation in life with others. Here at Revolution, maybe that looks like taking five more minutes after service to talk to somebody before you head back to your car. If small talk isn't your thing, maybe it means serving on a team. This is a great way to meet people while working side by side with them. Right now, our demands on your time are really, really low. Setup starts at four. We're all out of here around seven. Come help, and I promise you'll meet a person or two. Basically, everybody that I'm friends with here at Revolution um, are people that I became friends with while serving on a team with them. And here's the thing. I don't say this because I'm trying to create a stress for you or an obligation. What I'm doing is trying to challenge you to step out in a way that allows you to be seen and allows you to be known. So that's the first challenge. We need to let ourselves be seen by stepping back out into the world. And the second challenge is this. We need to see people. We need to see people. And here's a practical trick for that. Create a bit of silence. One of the bad habits that often dominates my work week is listening to podcasts when I'm walking around. Now, there is nothing wrong with listening to podcasts. But I've learned in the last year that when I'm walking around, if I just take my headphones out, I'm so much better at listening to what's going on around me. And that opens doors to see people. I've got to put myself in places where something meaningful can happen. And I've also got to make myself attentive and available once I'm in those places. Letting go of some of these habits that keep us isolated might feel scary. But I'm beginning to think that that's an I'm afraid of change fear more than it's a not another thing fear. My hunch is that we need to be a bit more discerning in the season between those two things. Do we say no to stuff because it's adding more? Or do we say no to stuff because we're afraid of losing control? 
my hope is that we can feel challenged and we can challenge each other to let go of some of that desire for control and to listen. In the months ahead, we're going to be trying to find better and healthier ways to live with our hosts here at Heritage. And we're also going to be trying to find better and healthier ways to live with Lily and her church too. Maybe that ends up being a shared youth group somewhere down the line or a joint worship service. Or maybe it means coming together to watch kids so that parents from all the churches can have date nights around town. I don't know what it's going to mean yet. But the healthiest way for us to go into this next season, the healthiest way for us to go into the next season is as people who know what it is to be seen and to be loved. And because of the security that gives us, whose eyes are open to see the people around us who need just those same things themselves. Peter closes his letter by saying that we should cast all our anxiety on Jesus because he cares for us. And after we have suffered a little while, he will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. Jesus cares for us. And Jesus shows us what it means to love, to be invested in somebody. That's not a private story. It's one that encourages us, I think, to step out into our world and in pursuit of his example, to love others as we have learned to love.